Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 130 for February of 2023. As this is our penultimate episode, we decided to take a look back and share with you the many varied and unique people that have agreed to be a part of our little project over the years. In this episode, we're going to just listen to some snippets of anywhere from a minute to two minutes from each one of our episodes where we had a special guest just to capture their personality and the topics we talked about as a thank you and a commemoration of all of the people that have added so much to uh, our enjoyment while we did this. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some excerpts from the many wonderful guests that we've had the privilege of hosting on this podcast. With us today, Wayne Moyer on Hooniverse's uh, Fodder 650. I've been there for ages now. It's kind of a scary time to get into this because it's just getting to be both expensive from the standpoint of ownership, insurance, and just pure dangerous. I mean, here in PA, we don't have the helmet laws, which makes our insurance even higher. Another discussion for another time. That's, that's it, it all adds up. So if I want to get my 60-year-old son into the hobby, I'm either going to have to go the scooter route or I don't completely know how. So they were just like, yeah, great. Welcome to Harley. And they were, I was expecting to get the cold shoulder. How dare you buy a $6,000 Harley Davidson? Do you not know that that's the cost of moving your engine up from an 800 to a 1200? And here they were, they welcomed me with open arms and it was just very, very strange to get that attitude. That was extremely weird. I own an MGB. <laughs> oh yeah. I got my 74 spit in the garage. TR seven. Yes or no. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yes. Completely <laughs> all across the board. Yes. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. TR eight. Yes. TR eight. Yes. Okay. TR seven. TR seven. Might as well be a stop. With an LS swap. Oh my God. No, 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 no. <laughs> The V-Rod is such a, would be a great motor to see on a lighter bike. You know, it would have been great to see someone like Buell play with or somebody yeah. do something the, a little more sporty. The problem is, is that Eric could never use it in in one of the Buells because he was asked over and over again back in the day, hey, when's this going in a Buell? Um, it was just designed too physically large once it went into the production bike to actually work in a Buell It, it, chassis, is, a, it so. is one lard-ass engine. I mean, it is... <laughs> yeah. Big and fat and wide. Our guest today is Cager on Two Wheels, coming to us live from Lisbon, Portugal. Thank you for joining us. Hi, I am Cager on Two Wheels, and we are on some sort of podcast. The Portugal Back to Pack. That's the best translation I can I can I can get. It it'll cost me like. 250 bucks the uh, entry fee and then plus hotels and what is it it is basically getting to know portugal but in no way shape or form you will you use highways or even um anything that's a freeway 
no big no no only local roads and so oh, today we're going this right. year we're going to start from Albufeira which is on Algarve south on the beachy part beachy touristy part of Portugal and then we're going to go all the way to the north of Portugal and we'll do 1000 kilometers in two days which includes a, a, a big a quick up and down the biggest hill in Portugal Serra da Estrela we go up come down for me I'm going to go 300 kilometers south to Albufeira on day one sleep then I'll do the proper ride, day one of the ride, day two for me, which will be 700 kilometers back north. And then day three will be 300 kilometers and then another 400 back home. So that will be 2,000 kilometers and that's 2,000 kilometers, like 1,600 miles in uh, two, three days. <laughs> yeah, sign me up that, for that. I would love to do that. Yeah. We are very happy to have Richard Varner on our show. I, if you just if you took off all the, the colors, you could tell. Watching on board, you could tell Jake Lewis from Roger Hayden from from uh, Josh Hayes from Cam Bouvier. They all look, they all ride differently, uh, and you you know you watch how they, they they move on the bike. It's all different, and that's a great thing. I mean, people can follow that. And that's that's what really gets me excited about what we're doing. Is that you can cheer for the bike, you can cheer for the make. You can cheer for the rider, uh, you know. You can cheer for the team, and I think there's just so many different ways to, to get behind what's going on out there. Uh, for a lot of us, one of the favorite uh, parts of the event is watching the 390 racers get out there. They they race very closely together. It's about developing their their racecraft. They learn to draft uh, lead changes, you know, three or four times a lap. Uh, young guys, uh, very emotional. And so the racing comes up to being just about anybody's game almost any week here. Yeah. Our guest today is Brad, a.k.a. Tub, from Camden Tub. Never ridden motorcycle on the street before. Didn't have a license. Didn't matter. Yeah. I was like, yep, I'm going to buy that. I got it for, I think it was seven or $800. And I rode that thing every day for a year, 365 days of MB5. And, <laughs> that and, sounds like a good uh, a good book to write. Yeah. 365 days of MB5. It'd be great if I remembered all of it. But. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky enough to go, and, and I actually met Brad in person for the first time at our local Radwood. I'm biased, obviously. I'm, I'm one of the co-founders of the event. Um but in 2019, we did, I think, a dozen events uh, nationwide and one internationally in the UK. Some of the events got pretty rainy. So they, you know, on the low end, we would have 200-ish cars. Yeah. And on the high end, we'd have 600. If somebody wants to own Radwood forever, what bike do they bring to just be the, Ooh. boom, this is it? Ooh. My personal... I, it, I have an irrational love for this bike. And personally, if this showed up, I would give it the trophy like 100%. A Demoda V2A 500. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Yep. Fair enough. Our guest today is Cam Vanderhorst from Camden Tubbed, trying to do our best to make the Universe Podcast Network actually a network in yes. more than name only. The CB1 was such a tremendously cool bike to ride. 
And it was just like a, I mean, it's a, it's a standard riding position, but that's, you know, the sportiest thing that I've ridden in addition to that actually felt more like a sport bike than the monster that I rode. Oh yeah, I would definitely agree. Because with forward controls and those awful half ape, uh, handlebars, it's just, it's just not a very fun bike to ride right now. Whereas the, I rode a, a Sportster 72 yeah. And that bike's actually set up. It, it's not a great handling bike, obviously, but that bike is set up just right. There's only two vehicles in my life that have lived up to or even surpassed the expectation I built up for them. And one was the air-cooled Porsche 911, and the other was the Yamaha TW200. That thing was even more fun to ride in real life than I had imagined. Are you co-host or primary host your so brad and i have a shared custody of the primary host role <laughs> i am going to guess b the yamaha i'll go d i'm gonna go with c oh all different okay you it's are probably the aramachi you are all wrong yeah. it is the aramaki which is the only one of those <laughs> th- four i would not pay forty two hundred dollars <laughs> yeah no kidding With us today is Rusty Spokes, obviously not his real name, and I know at some point I'm going to call him by his real name, so his first name is Jim. I'm assuming you didn't get your sweet one-piece leather suit from him, though. You know, it's funny <laughs> you mention that, because I used to ride with Pete back when he wore that suit regularly. <laughs> My wife and I celebrated 25 years in Colorado by taking an eight-day motorcycle trip around western Colorado. And we did like 1,800 miles and uh, just stayed at little hotels and stuff and had a good time. That sounds like a dream for me. Jim, did you cross shop the FJ09 when you were looking at your after? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I did. I went and sat on one. I sat on a new V-Strom. I sat on one of those. And I was going to ride both of them. A local dealer here, the guy said, yeah, I'll let you take either one of them out. I had started reading stuff about the Africa twin. They did the, um, the international launch in, uh, Africa on it. And I was like, yeah, no, I think I'm gonna wait for this. The DCT for you, is that a must have at this point or just kind of a, yeah, it's a nice gimmick. Um, it's a nice gimmick for me. I miss that, that low speed control you get with a clutch doing like parking lot maneuvers or like coming up to, um, you know, a rock or something on a Jeep trail and being able to just use the clutch to just kind of deliver the power exactly when you want it. So I really miss that. But like on the street, like when you accelerate, it's great because you just hold the throttle and then you can just paddle shift up. Uh, We have a special guest this week. Uh, You know him as Jeep Jeff. I just got back from uh, the 24 Hour of Lemons Rally, Hell on Wheels, uh, their inaugural rally. And you rode it up on a what? A TW200. Yes. Uh, I figured out how to, like, I did a lot of pulling off to the side to let people buy if there just weren't enough passing opportunities coming up, braking as the trucks went by me, waving people around. And that all worked pretty well. It was the people coming the other directions who saw one headlight and parsed it as a car 10 miles down the road. <laughs> and so I got run into the shoulder at one point. If I understand you right, it did not finish the entire rally. You had to put it in a truck. I had to put it in a truck. Now, 
that's not because the bike failed. That's because the rider failed. Um, oh, yeah. Like the end of the Death Valley day, like I spent a bunch of time on the side of the road, got a bit overheated. My entire body was sore after that. And then as I got out of the park, it was getting dark. And I did go off to the side of the road. And um, one turn off had deeper, softer gravel than I was expecting. And right as I came to a stop, it I toppled. The bike was totally fine. Um, but at that point, I, you were probably just done with it all. I was just, I was wrecked. Almost exactly a month ago, I bought a Yamaha MT-10. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was so oh. excited when they put the cruise control on the MT-10. That was like like one of the most exciting things about the bike for me when it came out was that it had cruise control. I, I mean, mean, like it, it's a really simple add to that bike because it, it's throttled by wire. So I don't know if you've ever seen Kajron Two Wheels MT-10 review. <laughs> I, I love that one. That was one of my favorite episodes, and that's definitely on the list of reviews that sold me on this bike. We do have a special guest this week, uh, Ty Long Lee. We see you on some of the Motorcycle.com videos and doing some writing on there. I used to think that magazine reviews were biased, that guys come in and the the manufacturers wine and dine you, and then you're always going to write a positive review. Well, as far as Motorcycle.com is concerned, I I don't know about the other publications, but as far as uh, MO, Motorcycle Online, that could not be further from the truth. It's not biased. There's nothing in my life that requires my absolute attention and being in the moment, like motorcycling and like music. Because when you're playing music, you know, if I'm playing bass and I'm looking over and I'm grooving with a drummer, it, it's you're in the moment. You're not thinking about yesterday. You're not thinking about an hour from now. You're not thinking about anything. You're not thinking about your, your bills, your taxes. You're in the moment. Uh, motorcycling is the same way. You know, you're on a motorcycle. If you're out wandering, you're daydreaming, um, you know, you're off the road. For me, any music, regardless of the style, whether it's rock, funk, country, hip-hop, R&B, soul, jazz, reggae, you name it, whatever it is, if it if the artist that created it, if the people who created it meant it, then then I'm down for it. Then that's cool to me. With us tonight is our guest, Mark Atkinson. It just nothing was as beautiful as the as the alpha body. So I finally called him out on Instagram and translated my words into Turkish, and it kind of forced him to respond. So, and, you know, and I asked him later, why didn't you respond to any of my previous messages? And he said, Well, I get people that request all the time to build my projects and they never do anything with them. I said, you were nuts enough to actually build the thing. So yeah, he got on board and we've now become really, really good friends. Well, you know, my love are, is the RDs. I just, so I've got uh, a couple of RD 350s and I think I have four, three RD 400s, including okay. the, the race bike, but you know, the, all the other ones are just fun street bikes in different tuning levels. Most of them are, are, uh, uh you know, typical difficult to ride peaky. Yeah. <laughs> I seem to, to draw to that, but you know, they're all piped and the one, my little RD 350 has got one of my old, uh, 400 top ends on it. Yeah. So, 
it it doesn't you know and it's it's really a handful to ride it's a lot of fun but it's so much work so my name is abi ishwarappa and uh, I run a little website called Bike Curious. We decided to do LA Barcelona to Vegas on, on a Ural sidecar. And so you have all these guys on proper dirt bikes and us just bringing up the rear in this, in this two-wheel drive Ural. It was terrifying, but so much fun. Uh, what, was, what was terrifying about it? Well, I mean, was it, was it actually fearing for life and limb or just that you were going to get stranded somewhere or just that it took a lot of concentration to keep it pointed where you wanted to go? Could it be a combination of all three? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. We've sold 10 uh, NR750s and had a couple more come through. The NR750s service. just blow my mind yeah. that people are out there actually riding those. Yeah. I, I just think that takes balls. <laughs> yeah, it, de- it definitely does. Uh, we just sold a RC213BS. It was in a crate, but he's he had us put the the race kit on it, and he's going to be taking it to track days. Yeah, no, it's like we just sourced a uh, a, a 1979 Honda, first year Honda CBX uh, with basically 0.2 kilometers on it, just kind of push miles uh, sort of thing for a gentleman. Uh, the bike was originally out of the German market, found its way to Arizona, and we just sold it to someone who's uh, is having us put you know service it, put new tires on it, and he's going to start riding it. Uh, that that's amazing, but in a great way. Yeah. Very happy to have David Emmett from motomatters.com on the show this week. Um, the Ducati is very different. The, the, the Ducati is very much a, a motorcycle that the, the harder you push it, the, the faster you can go. Uh, and it requires a completely different riding style. The Yamaha was that you brake early and release the brake uh, early and then carry a lot of speed into the corner. The Ducati is you brake late and you carry the brakes all the way uh, all the way to the apex and then get on the get on the gas and and, and use the uh, use the horsepower. So it's uh, it, it it requires a completely different uh, a different change. I interviewed Aki Ayo, um, who runs the Moto Two and Moto Three team, um, uh, and has been champion several times. I, he had Mark Marcus as a rider for a while, so I said, sort of, um, uh, you know, what did Mark Marcus learn from you? He says, "Don't ask me what Mark Marcus learned from me. Ask ask me what I learned from Mark Marcus." And in this way, I think it's the same with uh, with Pooch. I think with Pooch with uh, with Pedrosa, you also learn a little bit about, you know, how much um, uh, how much leeway to give uh, to give riders and how much. Uh, how tightly to uh, to hold the reins yeah. because you see he, he's looking after Jack Miller now as well okay. and Jack Miller uh, has made really really big steps forward um, with uh, from working with uh, with Pooch. The reason why Garrett had to wake up extra early is we have Steve Ledsham. I work in a, a small workshop in a place called Tring, uh, which is about thirty miles north of London. So I, I had a long conversation on the telephone with him, and he said, yeah, yeah I, we sort of agreed that I could do it. And I asked him how, how straight it was. He said, no, no, it's pretty straight, and it's pretty original. It's 1936. It wasn't any of that at all. It was you know, parts from every year you can imagine. The the frame had been sort of, uh, let, let me just say, scaffold pulled into position. To <laughs> we, have, we have the same problem, you know. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, even Japanese cranks as well. I mean, we're talking about TR750. I could, if I lifted up a TR750 crank and then knocked it with a small hammer, the thing will ring. It will make a ringing sound. You get a yeah. stand 
GT750 crank or, or water kettle, you know, a kettle crank, you know, uh, the set of, well, which is the road version of the TR750. And you, you hit that with the same hammer and it just goes good. It's like hitting a lump of lead. It's completely yeah. different. Metal's completely different. And it's the same with um, RD and TZ stuff. I mean, uh, or TR, TD, uh, TZ, all the race stuff through. Super hard cranks, great material. Road cranks, there's not the same thing at all. Ethan Sata is joining us. My first bike was that EX500 Ninja, but uh, hearing Garrett talk about the Tuano a lot means that my friends hear about a Tuano a lot. So I ended up renting a BMW R1200 RT, and that let me pretty easily negotiate uh, a lot of the long miles because it was about eh, 1,800, 1,900 miles in four days. Wow. Started talking to some other people there, and one of them was James, and uh, while I was talking to James, this other fellow named Eric showed up. The three of us had previously figured that we'd just ride alone, and that seemed like a little bit less fun. So we headed out, and seeing the sunrise over Kansas was just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I haven't really ever been to the Great Plains before, so it was very awe-inspiring to see. I kind of figured that if I'm going to go across the Great Plains and most likely I'm only going to do this ride once that I should do it on a Harley to get the full American experience. Um, but then I decided that if I was going to be in a group, I didn't really want to subject everybody else's ears to whatever bike I was going to ride. <laughs> and I decided to go with something a little bit more reserved. Joining me is the incredible and infamous Joe Bergeron. We all took turns riding the ZX-10 because I can't believe that he decided to ride a bike like that on a thousand mile trip. Um, so we all took turns uh, riding it. <laughs> More or less out of pity because I, could, well, I yeah. could not watch him stand no, up on that thing anymore. So that's the thing. I think that we got 10 miles into our trip and he was already standing up because his ass hurt so bad oh, and you know we had 990 more miles to go. not not all australians are tough let me just say that <laughs> no then, uh yeah some australians are tough but not the ones from sydney apparently <laughs> uh so i think joe you were the first one to I, yeah to I, ride on I, that. I hopped on the grenade and you know i think initially you're like well this thing's really not that uncomfortable actually realistically it's not the seat actually the the padding of the seat is oh the seat is exponentially better perfect. than mine it's not too soft it's not too firm right the the only discomfort i had was um my legs were a little crouched yeah and that was over i don't know 30 or 40 miles yeah um the only issue i had was the thing was a huge pile of shit I'm very happy to have uh, Chris Johnham on the show. So I came in to Ducati right when Valentino joined them, and then it was with uh, uh, Nikki was already there, and I, and I worked a lot with Nikki, who I, I knew well from from before. It was a tumultuous uh, period, but I met a lot of great people, and and you know just had those bonding experiences that you have when you're traveling with someone and and working hard to try to make something work, and I. I still have those relationships and, and treasure that that experience. We sort of expect stores to be open late at night yeah. and things like that. And um, and we expect sometimes we expect uh, the rest of the world to be just like like our home. You know, the other thing I'll say is that it's such a weird 
world when you're traveling with the MotoGP circus, as you, I think, aptly uh, called it, just because it's just like an army almost where you're, you're just, you're going to a country, you, you land at the airport, you go straight to the, to the track or to the hotel. And it's pretty much just between the track, the hotel and the airport. Um, and like during the day, if you're on a team, you're having your, usually we would have our, at least lunch and dinner in the hospitality and sometimes breakfast too. And, so, and there's just, it's not like going to travel for a vacation no, where you're no. on your own. You know, it's, 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 uh, you really don't get to, unfortunately, you don't get to experience a lot of the, of the countries that you're going to. What we have for you this week is an interview with the organizer of the Canadian National Superbike Series, Colin Frazier. You know, and I'm not saying we're, we're at the level of Moto America by any means, and certainly factory teams like Yamaha's program in Moto America affects so many people, and it's such a great program. Of course, we'd love to have programs like that. BMW does a fair bit in Canada. Ironically, BMW really don't have a program in the States, so it's interesting how these things play out. That's, it's an interesting world. You know, we see this in the States, these really young guys who were identified early, but to try and keep marching along and next steps and how much does it cost and all that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to go race in Spain, but that's. That takes a lot of money too. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I, I hate to be this guy, but we are not on the radar with the, with Dorna, right? We're, we are a backwater here. So whatever our problems are, we're going to have to develop our own solutions and, and that's fine. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm not a former world champion hero like Wayne Rainey is certainly one of my favorite racers of all time. I don't wield that kind of influence. So we you know we do it our own way, and and it's a, a different market and a different economy. And the United States has ten times as many people and a lot more warm weather, which is obviously better for motorcycling. Yeah. However, having made all those terrific excuses, um, I think it's interesting. Canada has a, a surprising amount of success at growing motorcycle racers. You know, we've done better than we probably should have. We are joined by the uh, CEO of Ducati North North America, uh, Jason Chinook. For us, we look at it as Ducati has always had one eye to our past because sure. part of our brand is our heritage. It's, heritage right. it's such an important piece of what we've done. And even if you think back to what we did in 2000, we brought out the MH900E, mm -hmm. which was the bike that was inspired by Mike Halewood's victory. Uh, that that spawned this concept of the sport classics that we had for some years where I mean nowadays it's incredible uh, I remember when we were first bringing sport classics to market now those bikes are worth more than they were new right dealerships you know, I was talking to a younger gentleman here tonight uh, who just had bought uh, a Japanese 600 uh, a couple years ago and he's looking at his next step up to be the super sport and he's so excited about like he said it's approachable, it's the right power, it's the right ergonomics package because he's riding it around town, maybe a little country rides. Mm -hmm. He's not going to necessarily take it to the track, but he feels as if he does, that he can, he'll be capable enough to have fun. Yep. So it's, I think people are looking for that where you know, not everybody has a garage full of motorcycles. It's, that world doesn't exist for everyone. I mean, even myself, I've had to move across the country a couple times where I'm paired down to two. God forbid. We have a guest. Uh, this is Rick Radcliffe, official friend of Hooniverse. And remember that at the bottom of Angel's Crest is Fast by, or not, I'm sorry, not Fast by Farashi. Um, 
Provitalia, is that the place you're thinking Provitalia, of? thank you. Yes, Provitalia. Anyway, one of the biggest Ducati dealers in the country is at the bottom of the hill. So we've got people who are buying, you know, they're walking in and dropping 30 grand in 1993 on a 916 SPS. And that's what you're seeing up at the at Newcombs. Like I, I met Reggie Jackson up there one day on an OW01. I got to follow Nick Einosh up in the mountains on his Bimota. So here I am, like, you know, eyes as big as saucers, trying my damnedest to keep up with Nick Einosh, who's riding this, you know, (laughs) just because I'm a crazy, just a high school kid. And I'm like, oh, two of those racing's right here. I'll just drive down and see what's going on. So I get down there and Freddie Spencer's leathers are hanging in the hallway. And one of my buddies from Angel's Crest actually bought the leathers. But this uh, this Honda Pacific Coast was sitting there in the in the showroom, and we kind of chat a little bit. And uh, Craig goes, "Yeah, you, you want it?" And I was like, "Well, what do you want it for?" It's like three grand ish. And so my dad's like, oh, "All right, I'll buy it." I cannot tell you how much fun that bike was because it's like literally, it's like a scooter. It's a Shadow Eight Hundred under all the bodywork. Yeah. But it, you know, lift up the trunk and you've got a full trunk that fits two full face helmets. So it's super useful, but it's kind of got like a flexi flyer chassis to it. So you just pitch it into a corner and you can kind of tell what's going on because you can feel the swing arm moving inches <laughs> left and right. <laughs> I'm Steven from Steven Photography. I'm a motor vlogger from the Midwest. I live in the Lake of Nebraska area. And I said, hey, this would be fun to have somebody on that's kind of in my neck of the woods and used to riding some of the same roads I ride. Have you ever tried to ride one of those hand-built choppers? Oh, they're awful. They're just horrendous. I don't remember what year it was, but Nebraska Lottery bought, I think, two bikes from OCC for their lottery. And one of the gentlemen that, that got one was in Iowa. And and we were out there hanging around with him, and he looked at me, and he said, go take it for a spin. And I took it about four blocks, and I tried to turn it around. And I was in the left lane of a four-lane road with a median in the middle of it, and I had to stop and back up. That's amazing. And I brought it back, and I said, this is junk. I was really good friends with the person who owned the dealership at the time, and he looked at him, and he said, what do you give me for it? He said, I don't want it. <laughs> I didn't even know what a Honda Fury was. We went to the dealer and I was just poking around and they had that one sitting there for four figures. Like you said, I couldn't believe how easy it was to ride. I was expecting that OCC chopper. I fell in love with it too. She absolutely loves that bike. So of the rides that I've done, I will, I'll honestly say, obviously the PCH is number one. That's amazing. Beartooth Pass is somewhere in the top five. But to be honest with you, Western Nebraska and those sand hills, I absolutely love it out there. There are a lot of really cool roads out there. Highway 2 across Nebraska, that is so much fun to ride. We have a special guest, Bree Poland. I'm with Royal Enfield. I am the lead uh, marketing director for everything from Canada all the way down to the very tip of Argentina. (laughs) We have five target demographics. We've got new riders, and that's anyone from 16 to 80 that has never rode a motorcycle before. Then you have women riders. Then you have people that are um, heritage-based motorcycle owners or want to be. So they have 
you know, an affection or an affinity for the Royal Enfields of the past. And their dad might have rode a Royal Enfield or their grandfather. So you target that audience. Then you target returning motorcycle owners. So people that have given up motorcycling for whatever reasons and want to get back into it. And then second bike owners. So someone might own a bigger bike from a different OEM, but they want to get around the city. I would say 95% of my life is is motorcycling, whether it's personal or professional. You know, I work on motorcycles when I'm not trying to sell motorcycles or I go on motorcycle trips with my fiance or in the last nine months, I think we've been to six or seven weddings. So we're using all our vacation time going to other people's weddings. (laughs) Not enough time to plan our own, but I'm hoping for a Halloween wedding this fall. Um, I've always wanted to get married in like the fall and just have the leaves and stuff. And I'm not a really big girly girl. So there will probably be some motorcycle aspects to the wedding. Halloween themed wedding? No, no. I just chose (laughs) Halloween because that weekend the leaves haven't turned brown yet in Wisconsin and they're still like orange and gold and red. So it has no, (laughs) everyone has to come dressed as a vampire or werewolf. Okay. (laughs) We have a guest this month, Ross Ballett from our sister podcast, I have recently started a podcast with my co-host, Chris Tracy, called Off the Road Again. We basically meander and tangent through the world of four-wheel drive. I am a mostly Jeep and Toyota off-road guy, and then even more so, and primarily so, an ATV guy. So went from you know a 650, which is actually a 633cc, V-twin with dual carburetors and uh, basically everything on the machine replaced at some point because it had broken or worn out to a 2013 Scrambler 850, which has fuel injection and power steering. And it was like, the jump was crazy. You said you've done a lot of side-by-side stuff. Um, Yes, sir. What do you like better? Would you rather be holding onto a steering wheel or a set of handlebars? Handlebars. Not even a question. You know, it's interesting. Chris last night asked the same question. You know, if the quad is more fun than off-roading in a truck, and it is. There's, and it translates exactly to the side-by-side. You know, the first time when you're a kid and you take the training wheels off and you're free and it's like your first feeling of freedom, it never gets old on the quad. Yeah, CVTs are kind of um, double-edged sword. For a lot of the extreme rock crawling, they're kind of great because you know you get as much power as you want whenever you want it for out of a CVT. But there's so much that can go wrong. Like well, the second you feel a belt start to slip, your heart just sinks. <laughs> We have a very special guest. We have Johnny Lewis here. So I ended up building a 16-acre facility down here in Florida where I train all kinds of riders, uh, you know, from amateurs to pros. But, but I still race the American Flat Track Series on and off. Last year, I worked with a lot of guys. And one young kid that I've worked with since he was like 10 years old turned pro, worked with him a lot. And only did a handful of races, but kind of, you know, I'm kind of one of those guys that jump in and I still can kind of run up front. I'm going to say I'm going to start this class. And I'm going to talk about a lot. And I'm going to go from start to finish. Some of it's going to be above your, your thought process right now. But I said, I'm going to say it all. Basically, everything you have to do. Because once something starts, that next step has to start, you know, follow right after. 
and that's the thing with flat track. It's like the reaction, you have to be able to react so quickly. And it's a fun process for me. And when I see people finally get it, you know, and it could be, you know, the first session, they're like, Oh my God, like everything you've said all makes sense. I'm getting the leg out. I'm pushing the bike down. I'm on top of it. I'm looking where you want me to. And it started to slide like, and people could get it right away. And some people it's like they have one step down at the other step down. And it's not, it's kind of starting the process, but not, not kind of following all the way through yet. And then it's like, Oh, everything clicked. And then all of a sudden it went from like, I wasn't sliding a motorcycle to I am sliding a motorcycle. And it's, it's that, that that's like the rewarding thing for me is like just that, that initial click for somebody. We have a special guest, Victor Pagan. Right now, I'm in the middle of building a 1997 Honda CR250 into a super single road racer. I had settled on a Gixxer 600 front end, and that's because I saw on YouTube, uh, some YouTuber was doing another supermoto build, and he was able to graph that on with really no issues whatsoever. The only change that I made in the actual rear suspension was adding a race tech cold valve. Uh-huh. And the settings I had used were the flat track settings. And then I kind of just didn't fully follow them. Yeah. Because I wasn't sure if I wanted to start drilling holes into the valve and then, you know, I can't reverse that. Yeah, so I just right. left the valve as as is. I just followed the shim stack guide and put it together and then waited until I went to the track to see how I liked it or not. Yeah. So I have a 2001 swing arm on there and I lengthened the dog bone by 10 millimeters to get the bike to squat a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that helped with the front end because adding the Jixer front end, I was running around 19 degrees of rake which is really really twitchy Mm -hmm. so this brought me back up to around 20 to 21 and the class that they have me running in at cvma at least currently is with the 400s and 500s so uh, if i can go down to around a 205 lap time i'm pretty much good for uh, racing that bike at that speed anyway We have a guest this month, Mike Festiva. Got a YouTube channel I've had for about six years now, basically fabrication and building stuff, usually on a budget, having fun with it, working with the tools you got. I've like worked hard on certain videos, like, man, this one's going to do great. This is, I put a lot of effort. I'm really happy this turned out. And then the ones you're like, eh, I don't even know if I want to post this. And then you do, and those do really well. Weird. I had recently gotten rid of my welder when I saw your video on the 125 titanium flux welder and ran out to buy it and I got on sale for like $169. I'm like, how can you afford to not have one of these around? Oh, so worth it. No bottle, no nothing. Just plug it into 110 and you can weld up something super quick and be out of there. And people laugh because they're so small. It looks like a toy almost 14 pounds, but they are really good for simple little projects, especially if you're just starting to get into welding, you know? I had that rolling chassis laying around for about a year. And I think I finally was like, man, I got a Predator engine in my garage. I was going to make a mini mill sawmill with. Might as well put this engine in this bike. And I got all the parts. I was like, man, it looks like it might 
fit in there pretty well. Yeah. And you know, it was simple. I was just kind of making a video to show what I was doing, encourage others. But like you said, 50 bucks for a rolling chassis, 100 bucks for an engine on sale. That's a cheap motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, pretty good way to go. Yeah. Uh, there's some downsides to it, like keep an extra belt with you and keep some more pull starter cord because you can't roll start right, them. Right, right. And the side case is a little vulnerable if you dump them on the fan side. Like yeah. that pull starter mechanism can get dented in pretty easy. And the belts are notoriously bad for burning up. So yeah. <laughs> keep that in mind. Right. Our guest this month is Trevor Daly, someone I've known uh, from up in Canada for probably a decade. You know, as much as I said, I, you know, kind of started my race career in go-karts on four wheels. You know, I was really fortunate. I grew up a little bit in the country and, you know, had some property and, you know, the, my, I've got two older brothers. We all rode dirt bikes and mini bikes. So definitely started on two wheels and snowmobiles up here is a big thing too. After the, all the car racing stuff to go back to two wheels and, uh, you know, kind of put, a lot of the uh, engineering um, and fabrication stuff I learned on that prototype program into what I've been doing for almost 10 years now. I started one speed in, uh, uh, it'll be 10 years this October. You know, if you can't go ride your motorcycle any day of the week and, uh, and it functioned properly and stopped properly and whatever it might be, um, then yeah, those are probably more things that I would shy away from doing. But in the end, like I said, it's uh, that's the beauty of doing things custom, right? It's everybody, everybody's vision is a little bit different. So you're never doing the same thing twice. So Eric touched on that. I've done a lot of Harley stuff, too, for I don't know a bunch of years. And, and still now I do a lot of V rods, which are, uh, you know, a Harley, but have a bit of a performance aspect. And not to say I don't enjoy stuff that's just visually based, but the stuff that you know, kind of improves all aspects of, of the bike, no matter how you look at it. Those are definitely projects I probably, you know, like doing a little bit more because like I said, it kind of touches all aspects. Appreciate you joining us. Well, thanks for being with us. I appreciate the time. Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Appreciate uh, you guys. Yeah. Again, thank you guys for having me. Good luck this weekend. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in about a month to six weeks up there. Really appreciate it. So long. Thanks. Okay.